Welcome to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. We say all the time here at Bethel that it's all about Jesus, it's not about us. And we pray that when people come to Bethel or hear anything about Bethel, they actually find Jesus and not us. Today, we're going to start a brand new series called Dreamer. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. The dreamer Joseph is found in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in scripture, and it's kind of an origin story. The the book of Genesis kind of brings the origin of the universe, the origin of the chosen family of God, the origin of sin, and the origin of redemption, and kind of what God's plan is to bring about the redemption of mankind. And so today, as we start the series on Dreamer, we're going to talk through the Dreamer's family. Actually, the title of the message is called The Dreamer and His Crazy Family. If you'd like to reach out to Bethel, you can find us online at www.mybethel.cc. All right, Christy already said this, uh, crazy families. I don't know if anybody has ever considered your family to be just a little bit crazy. Okay, we have at least one person that has said that I'll raise my hand to. Um, have you ever thought that it would be really entertaining if a camera followed your family around for a few months and created some kind of reality TV show? Um, I think some of us, most of us are like, that would be the most embarrassing thing ever. I'm so glad that I don't have cameras following me around. But um, there's a lot of people that we know in our lives that we like, man, that would, be, that would make a great reality show. Um, We have the benefit of Scripture to see a family from the first moment we encounter them all the way through their descendants, their their children and their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. And and if you look in Scripture, this family we're going to look at is the first family in Scripture that Jesus, that God himself, chose in order to follow him. We're going to learn during this series that um, over the next several weeks that a family, we get to see kind of like a, like a fly on the wall or a, kind of like looking at their text messages and their emails and their, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and downs, the ins and outs. We get to see it all. And what I appreciate about Scripture and what I love about Scripture is that it does not hide anything from us. When they make a bad choice, we get to see how it plays out. When we see the good decisions they make, we get to see those decisions play out. We also get to see often their tragic development. It actually makes all the marks of a great movie and a great story. It's got love and betrayal and murder, slavery, incarceration, hate, obscurity, defeat. It's got leadership and it's got second chances and it has redemption. All the things that make a great story, we're going to find in the first family story. At times, we'll find our own story highlighted or reflected in this first family. We'll actually find that all of us have some kind of purpose or dream that whether we've expressed it or not, it's deep inside. And many times, our own expectations or future seem to be irrelevant and they seem to go away. Well, we're going to see that when they're based on God or when he has placed them in our hearts, no matter what happens, no matter what obstacles are there, no matter what um, obscurity we may feel, God's purposes will be fulfilled. His purposes will be complete. And so some of the questions that we're going to ask ourselves is, what do you do when a dream seems to die? Like a, a vision or a purpose for your life seems to die. What do we do 
on the other side of a dream. Let's say we had some goals in a dream and we finished it. Now what? Now what do we do? We're also going to ask ourselves the question, what do we do when the vision God gives us seems impossible? We're going to unpack those questions and more. But first, I think to understand the story of Joseph, which is the kind of the character of our story, we kind of need to understand where he came from. He didn't just appear out of nowhere. He didn't just randomly show up in scripture. He actually had a background and he had siblings and he had parents and he had grandparents and he had a, had a history. And so we kind of want to walk through that this morning. I, uh, I have this cool little uh, pointer. And so I haven't got to use it yet. So I'm really excited about using it this morning. Hopefully I don't accidentally blind somebody. Chrissy's like, awesome. Great. Um, let's show the, let's show the map first. And I'm going to step out of the way a minute so you can see. But, of course, the world, it's going. Um, if you don't know anything about the world, it spins, you know, and uh, spins around this thing called the sun. Uh, anyway, on the map, we see Africa. And then we have this small area called the Middle East. And in the Middle East, a lot of things happen. Actually, it's in the news all the time. But the Middle East has been a part of our history since the beginning of time. Um, Ur is a special place that God actually chose a man named Abram, and he told him to leave Ur and go to a land that he was going to show him. And scripture says that he went from Ur up to Haran. And then from Haran, he went down to a place that we now call Israel. At the time, it was called Canaan. We're going to focus the entirety of our story of the dreamer in this area right here. This area is what the entire Old Testament this is where it's all located, right here. It stays within this geographical area. If we go outside of this area, it is stories like Jonah and Nineveh. But it's just like right up here, okay? So it's not out of this area. This is the geographical area that all the Old Testament is based on. When we get into the New Testament, uh, the, the Christian scriptures, the furthest we go as far as mentioning is Spain, so all of it is mentioned right here in this area, and this is where all the big stuff in Scripture happens. And so for us to understand Scripture, we need to understand some of the geography. We need to understand some of the family history. And so let's go to the next slide, uh, Cassandra. This next slide is this area called Israel. And you can see right over here we have Ur, which is where Abraham went, and he went up to this place called Haran right here. And he settled there for a long time. But one of the things that Abraham did, if you read the first uh, several chapters of Genesis, Abram went from up here and he traveled almost to, he went to Egypt at one point. He had a run-in with the Pharaoh. That was kind of a bad deal. And then he came back and he settled right here. If you look at this place right here, Hebron, that's where he sacrificed, or he was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Interestingly enough, thousands of years later, Jesus, the Messiah, the one and only son of God, was sacrificed on that very mountain where, where Abram took Isaac. And so Abram's first. Then after Abram, we have uh, a man named Isaac. Isaac was this promised son of Abraham. Abraham was an old man. God told him to go outside of his tent, and he said, Hey, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Look at the sky. Look at the, look at the stars. Your descendants will be more than those stars. Well, he was an old man. He didn't have any kids. And finally, one day, this um, angel came before him and said, hey, by this time next year, you'll have a baby. And Sarah, his wife, she was in her 90s, and she starts laughing. She's chuckling. Um, I'm not going to call anybody out. My mom's in her 70s, but can you imagine? Um, can you imagine? Uh, I mean, that's okay, Mom. You look good for 70. Come on. 
I mean, amazing. I hope I look that good at 70. I mean, come on. Uh, but if my mom was 90 and then had a baby, I'd be like, what the? What the what? <laughs> That's what my son says. He says, what the what? It's like this lady was 90 years old and she had a boy named Isaac. Now, Isaac was born and he had two sons. Interesting in the story, if you go back and read it, Abram sent his servant back up to Haran, Haran to find Rebecca. Brought her down. They had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Actually, it was Esau was born first, Jacob was born second. Interesting thing about Jacob is that when, he was, when, when Esau was being born, Jacob grabbed hold of his foot. He grabbed him, and he wouldn't let him go. And so when Jacob was, or when Esau was born, quickly right after um, Jacob was born, chasing his brother. And really, the story of Jacob's life is chasing his brother. And we know that later on, Esau made a decision and sold, quote-unquote, his birthright to Jacob. Even though God already had this planned out, he ended up giving his birthright or his sonship to uh, Jacob. Now, Jacob, his name means deceiver. He's a, he's a trickster. And he tricked his father, Isaac. He was an old man, was blind. He tricked him to give him his birthright. He also was tricked by many people. So the deceiver was also deceived. And so his whole life was full of deception by receiving and giving deception. Joseph was born to Jacob. And Jacob later was called Israel. So today we have Israel, which means the 12 tribes of Israel. And we'll get into that story as the, as the series goes on. But so here, here's what I want us to get to. And here's what you need to understand about the history is that Joseph was not just born to Jacob in a vacuum. He had many other brothers. He had several other sisters. And yet Joseph was born in a particular time. I want to read Genesis 37, 3. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Oh, yeah. So this is my jacket for the series, all right? Max saw me, and he goes, Dad, you're not going to wear that, are you? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, huh? It's like, just for the Dreamer series. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. So he gave him a beautiful robe. And here, here's what I want you to understand is that Joseph, jo- Jacob had 12 other children, or 11 other children. But something about Joseph stood out or stuck out to him, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But we need to understand that Joseph was not just born to the perfect life. He had one full brother, and he had 10 other half-brothers. You need to read the story. If you go back in Genesis, several chapters before chapter 37, you'll see the chaos and the history and the mess of this family. We also learn that Jacob, his father, Israel, was a passive father. He was a passive father. He actually, his, sin, his sons were involved in all sorts of sin, even murder, and he never once opened his mouth to correct them. He let them do what they were going to do. He invented you do you boo to his 12, his 12 sons. He didn't correct them. He let them do whatever they wanted to do. 
He didn't, he didn't lead them to be honorable men, and he never confronted them. If you think your father is wild and crazy, just read Genesis 25 and on. Got nothing on these men. This is just a quick flyover of Jacob. He loved Rachel. Rachel was the uh, daughter of a man named Laban. Jacob, when he tricked his uh, father, he ran away from Esau because he was afraid Esau was going to kill him. So he ran, and he went up to that same place in Haran. When he got there, he met a beautiful young woman. Her name was Rachel, and he fell in love with her head over heels. So he struck an agreement with his dad, her dad, and he said, I will work seven years if you will let her be my wife. Now, uh, men, those of you that have little girls, daughters, I think this is a great deal. <laughs> Someone wants to marry your daughter? Work for me for seven years. Is that good? Yeah, isn't that right? Yeah, I like that. Okay, so uh, Lily, just know that's what's coming, all right? It's going to be a tough act. <laughs> but he worked for seven years for Rachel, and then his father-in-law deceived him. And on his wedding night, I, never, I don't ever understand how this thing worked out, but on his wedding night, somehow Leah, the older sister, got slipped into the marriage tent. And Jacob woke up the next morning. He looks over to see his lovely, right, nope, that's Leah, tricked him. Well, he went out and talked to Laban. How'd you do this to me? And he goes, well, it's a custom in our day. You can't, I can't have my younger daughter marry before my older daughter. And he goes, work for me seven more years and I'll give you Rachel. Well, Jacob loved Rachel so much that he agreed. He worked 14 years. So, Lily, 14? Is that good? All right. That's a bad deal. Well, once he finally married Rachel, he loved her, and she struggled with infertility. For many, many, many years of their marriage, she was not able to conceive children. And, and this is a this is such something that hits home for my wife and I. We have also struggled with infertility. I had cancer when I was a teenager. Um, I'm unable to have children, and God has blessed our life with two children um, that, that we get to raise. There are our daughter, Lily, and our son, Max, and they're a blessing to us. And I, what I will say is if you're struggling with infertility, if you're struggling with this in your family, God sees you. He doesn't just abandon you. He knows. He understands the, the pain and the heartache that you're going through. And he has a purpose in this, even though it's impossible to see. Uh, Christie's and my first 10 years of marriage was, was extremely difficult as we walked this journey of infertility. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says this, Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph, for she said, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. And sure enough, a little later, she gave birth to another son. His name was Benjamin. Because of their hardship with infertility, this is something that bonds couples together. And when a child comes along through adoption or through birth, it does something to the marriage and it just it solidifies the marriage. And we see that Joseph and, or sorry, Jacob and Rachel, uh, their bond grew ever greater. And Joseph loved her and by result, loved Joseph. He, he pl this kind of placed Joseph in an awkward position among his siblings, though, because he had older siblings. And because he was so favored, his other siblings just hated him for it. They, they could not stand that this little punk kid 
had all his father, their father's affection. And they were a lot older than him. They didn't receive the love and affection, the direction, the discipline from their father. And then along comes this kid. And not only is their father old and maybe a little more gentle, but their father starts showering this young punk with, with gifts and gives him a coat of many colors. This is a coat of royalty. It was basically telling all the siblings, hey, this, this dude's my favorite. This guy's going to get the inheritance. This guy's going to be number one. And it caused a lot of problems in the family. But it's interesting that as we read this story, Joseph had a different level of integrity than his father. He he had a different level of integrity than his brothers. Something inside him was different. And, And here's one of the main points I want us to understand today, is that we don't have to follow the patterns of our inheritance. We don't have to follow the family patterns that we were born into. God has allowed us to come to this world for this time, and we can look back and we can reflect on our family lineage and our heritage, and we can say, wow, this is going to change with me. There's many that have experienced addiction and alcoholism and and abuse in the family, and many people have experienced uh, problems in marriage, and kids are growing up in this experience, and we can say, with God, with Christ, we're going to have a different future. My kids will not experience this. My my generations after me are not going to experience this. And I, I can attest to this many times over in my own life, how God has taken my family seed and my family generation and completely changed the course of time through Christ. And he can do the same with your life. He wants to do the same with your life, and it is possible. We don't have to follow the same patterns of the previous generation. You may be the change agent in your family tree. It may be you. You might be the one that does it different this time. God will place in you the desire to change and empower you to lead differently. Here's the other thing that I want us to recognize is that there are consequences to being a passive father or a passive mother. There's consequences. Because our children are looking at us for examples. A lot of times, this is like, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a minute as a pastor, if you guys will let me, just for a second. A lot of people outsource their children's raising to one hour a week at church, thinking that the pastor has to get onto your kids, and the pastor and the staff has to disciple and educate your children. And we get one hour a week. You guys get the rest of the time. And it's not up to the church to educate your kids, but it's up to the families that belong to the church to educate your kids. A passive mom or dad is no good for the kids. It's no good. Jacob turned a blind eye to his son's corruption. We'll see this in the future messages. They actually committed evil against him and against the nations around them, and he just turned a blind eye. Many times we as parents, we make mistakes, and because of the mistakes we make, we think it has eliminated us from being the leaders in our families. That is actually not true. Do not let your past mistakes keep you from the leadership that God has given you in your home. Don't let sin that has crept into your life keep you from leading your family well because God still has a position for you. God has still placed you in this world with your family for such a time as this. And it is time for us to step back into the position that God has given us as men, as women, leading our children. Do not let our conse- the consequences of our sin not let us lead. Let's come back. Let your kids need it. Your kids need your example. Your kids need your leadership. Your grandkids need your leadership. 
We see in Genesis chapter 37, 1 and 2, that Joseph used his position as the favorite to tell on his brothers and get them into trouble. Now, we call that tattling. Tattletale. No one likes a tattletale, right? In church, this happens all the time. Spiritual tattletales. Oh, did you know that so-and-so is doing this? Oh, I can't believe so-and-so. And they'll come and whisper and gossip about it. That's called spiritual tattletaling. Stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. Genesis 37.1 says, So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers. So his older brothers, he worked for them, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. It's interesting to me that as he's stepping into what this means to be a dreamer, he's a tattletale out the gate. And he's just pointing out the flaws in people in, in his family's life. I've, I've noticed this in my life. I've noticed this in people that are just starting a life of faith. They begin to point fingers out saying, oh, can you believe they did that? Oh, can you believe they're doing that? No, we got a lot of work to do on ourselves. We shouldn't be pointing at other people. We should be looking in the mirror. Verse 4 says, But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. The thing about this dream in particular, it was way bigger than he ever anticipated. We're going to get into that next week. We're not going to talk about it today. But he had this dream, and he could not keep it to himself. And, and what Joseph is going to learn, and what we're going to learn over the next few weeks, is that not only does God place dreams in our hearts, but he also develops them, and he matures them, and he gets them ready to come to pass. If God has placed something in your life that is overwhelming, that seems out of reach, just know that God's going to work in your life to make it a reality. And here's some discerning factors. How do I know that this dream God has put in my life? There's four things that I want you to think about first, and then we're going to see about discerning what, if it's a God dream or my dream. First is, the dream that God placed in your, hand, your life may be completely out of alignment from your family culture. My parents, when they first received Christ, they met in college and God placed a dream in their heart to be missionaries out of the country. This was just totally off the wall. And yet they followed God, and they ended up in Central America starting churches, completely out of the alignment of their family. You also, the second thing is you may feel the need to share your dream too soon. Guess what God told me? God told me I'm going to fill a stadium, and a bunch of people are going to be looking at me. From then on, it's going to be hard. Because people are really going to look down on you for that. Your inclination will be to jump ahead of God's timing. That's the third thing you've got to see. Sometimes we'll want to jump ahead of God. And the fourth thing is don't be surprised if the people around you push back and discredit your dream. These are all part of God's dreams. So how do I know if this is my dream or God's dream? First, there's two types of dreams. In Scripture, it's, it's the same word. And in Hebrew, there's a dream that's ordinary, like I went to bed and... I had a nightmare, or I had a flying dream, or I had a dream about the pizza I ate the night before. I mean, that's, that's ordinary dreams that all of us experience. But then there's another kind of dream that's a prophetic dream. It's a vision dream. It's a, it's a dream that is of God 
not of pizza, okay? And it's hard to discern what those are. And so a lot of people think that dreams only come when you're sleeping. That is actually not true. These kind of dreams, they're prophetic, and they're not just in a trance-like state. It's not like God just taking you somewhere and you're, you're walking around. No, God puts something deep in your heart, and it's a prophetic dream that starts coming out because God has placed it deep there. Well, so how do, how do we know the difference between a prophetic dream and my dream? I want to tell you about a dream God has given me. This morning I woke up and I was thinking about 2015. And I started asking myself, wow, I, I wrote some stuff down in 2015. In October of 2015, I wrote this about Bethel. I was not the pastor. I said, our goal is to bring people in, edify them, train them, and send them out. We want to be different from the world. We want to do what God wants us to do, not what the world says we should do. We believe that the church should be a place that focuses on the essential parts of the Word of God, not the likes and dislikes of each person. We want the people in our community to come and feel comfortable here. There are no perfect people on the earth, and we will not try to display something we are not, but something real that impacts lives. We want this church to be a church that is known as a church who loves God and loves others deeply. When a person comes to Christ, he finds true life. His life is changed, and he can never be the same. We want to love God, love others, and join them on their journey to life change. Many say that they don't like the church because the church people are hypocrites or that it does not feed them or meet their needs or they don't like the pastor, etc. Maybe if we approach the church like Jesus did, we would hear fewer complaints. This place will be a beacon to light the way. It will be a medical center to help those in need physically and spiritually. It will be a boot camp to train workers. It will be a refuge for those in desperation. And it will be a place for real people where they can find and meet the real Savior. It's amazing that in 2015, God put that in my heart, and I wrote it down. I found it this morning, and this is what's happening at Bethel. We get to see it this morning with Corey and, and Carly and the Pastorellis with their babies, is that something about this place is attracting people to Jesus, not to us. So you may have a dream. How do you discern the two dreams? Well, a God dream will always be in line with Jesus. A God dream will always take into account and be in line with Jesus. It will not contradict Jesus or his teachings or the revelation from God. God's dreams have a purpose of redemption and provision. God's dreams will be accomplished even if they seem to fail. In Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, this is the end of the story, Joseph says these words, you intended to harm me but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So my dreams, here's the difference. My dreams are fair-weather dreams. I feel them today and I don't feel them tomorrow. My dreams will fade over time. And my dreams are always self-centered and narcissistic. So how do I know what is what? Well, you can filter them through those statements. This is what Paul said, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. And here's the fact, is the story that God is writing in your life was birthed before your conception. 
He's crafting a plan and a vision for your life that he set up a long time ago because you're his masterpiece. Do you understand that God has been doing with you even through your family history, even if it was dysfunctional? He has prepared you for this time. And he's calling you out, and he has a plan for you. Here's the truth we find in Jesus. If you look at his family history, he understands a thing or two about dysfunction. In his family line, he had murderers, prostitutes, outcasts, kings, wicked and righteous alike. Jesus did not let his family legacy dictate the plan of the Father for him. He fulfilled his purpose, and he gave his life to redeem us so that we could prosper. Jesus understands this. Our God is not a passive father. Our God is an active father. And he calls us deeper into a relationship with him. So here's my advice this morning. Jesus not only shows us our problem, but he shows us the solution. If you'll start with Jesus, he will guide you into the purpose of your life. Mom and dad, parents, grandparents, you're not perfect, but you have a perfect father. So if you will admit your mistakes, and if you will, um, if you will confess them and be real to your family, ask for forgiveness, step up to the plate even when you failed, you'll be the person that God has asked you to be. Let's pray, and we're going to head into a time of worship.